Welcome to Temple Talks, a new podcast from Temple Israel in Minneapolis, where Jewish wisdom meets our ever-changing world. Join us as we talk with our favorite partners and thought leaders from around town and around the world. We hope these talks will inspire you, challenge you, and give us all new ideas about Judaism, religious life, and social justice. I'm Rabbi Klein. Rabbi Hartman. Rabbi Moss. Cantor Abelson. Rabbi Glazer. And I'm Rabbi Zimmerman. In early December, I spoke with Howard Mortman, the communications director at C-SPAN and the author of a new book detailing the history of rabbis offering prayer in Congress. I thought it would be a fitting episode to be released in mid-January, around the time of inauguration. And now, in light of the violent events at the Capitol on January 6th, the episode has all the more relevance. After this attack on the sacred duty of our elected representatives, and the ugly incursion of anti-Semitic symbols into the Capitol itself, let us consider the role that Jewish prayer has played within those hallowed halls. So welcome to Temple Talks, and uh, thanks for coming on. Thank you. It's wonderful to be part, a part of this, and uh, it's a thrill. This is, uh, I will tell you, I'm a first-time author. I'm a complete amateur at this. Uh, I'm an amateur at marketing book as well as writing a book. So, so thank you for uh, including me. This is, I, I will tell you, this is my first time uh, doing a, a podcast and doing this kind of uh, venture for the book. So thank sure. you for the maiden voyage here. Be, be gentle on me if you don't mind. This is my first uh, time interviewing for the podcast as well. I'm looking forward to this conversation. And there's kind of two main things that I'm interested in hearing about. One is definitely the content uh, of the book and the nuggets that you dug up as you discovered all these rabbis who've come into uh, Congress to offer prayers. But, but then I'd also love to hear about how someone who's not a Jewish professional um, gets involved in this Jewish project and, and what the building of this project has, has been like. Yeah. Sure. And in fact, in the classic politician's way, let me answer the second question first, uh, as everybody in Washington does. Um, the, the project itself, um, it's funny, I, I, you're totally right. I'm not a Jewish professional uh, uh, in any way. I mean, we, we have a Jewish household here. Uh, my wife and two kids, uh, you know, raised a Jewish. Uh, we belong to Temple Road of Shalom in Washington, D.C. area, in the Virginia suburbs, Reform uh, Congregation. But in no way am I an academic. I'm not a Jewish professional. I'm just a, a guy who is fascinated by, by history. Um, the, the genesis of this book, and this book, as you mentioned, is looks at uh, rabbis who have opened Congress in prayer. We can, we'll go a little bit more about that, what that means. comes from my working at C-SPAN. Um, which is the cable television uh, network that shows Congress. Uh, it shows the floor of the House of Representatives and the floor of the Senate, uh, complete uh, gavel to gavel coverage. Uh, so uh, as the PR guy, the media relations guy for C-SPAN, I watch a lot of C-SPAN. And I've, so as a result, I also watch a lot of Congress. Part of watching Congress all day long, for better or for worse, I've always been fascinated by the very beginning of each session. And the very beginning of each session of Congress opens with a prayer. They even, they do that, they pray even before they have the Pledge of Allegiance. It literally is the very first thing uh, the House and the Senate does. Um, so they have a chaplain uh, uh, in both the House and in the Senate. And it's, um, you know, it's typically a Christian prayer. Uh, 
you know, both the, the chaplain of the House and the Senate uh, are Christians, Seventh-day Adventist in the Senate and a Catholic in the House. Um, so it's not a, there's nothing Jewish, particularly Jewish about it. Uh, but the whole tradition itself has just, I thought it was just so interesting, looks like nothing else that occurs in the legislative day. There's no fighting, you know, it's, it's, there's, there's, you know, there, nobody's arguing over its legislation or anything. It's just purely a prayer. Um, on the rare occasions that there are guest chaplains, meaning men, uh, clergy members who fill in for the regular chaplains, uh, and on even rare occasions, those guest chaplains are rabbis. And that's basically where my story begins. It's looking at rabbis who have been guest chaplains uh, in the House and the Senate and uh, going through history. Uh, and I've cataloged all of them uh, who are the rabbis um, who've opened the House and the Senate in prayer. Uh, and I've cataloged who they are and what they've said. Um, and it's, that's basically what the project is. It's a look, it's the first of its kind look at uh, rabbis who have opened uh, Congress in prayer. Um, so uh, the, just the, the story real for me begins just by interest in Congress, mm -hmm. but then it becomes a Jewish story from there. Sure. It's kind of remarkable um, that the prayers offered even before the Pledge of Allegiance, that's really a, a special setting. Yeah, it is. It's really interesting. Um, uh, it's the first thing they do. And also, it's not a new phenomenon. They've been, uh, every basically every session of Congress has opened a prayer from the very beginning and from the very beginning, meaning from the 18th century, mm -hmm. uh, before there was a Bill of Rights, uh, Congress was praying um, and had hired uh, chaplains for both the House and the Senate. And it even goes back to the Continental Congress that Benjamin Franklin wanted to begin each session uh, with a prayer. You know, it's not a law, it's not a statute that they do this. It's more of just part of of uh, Congress's history that they do this. And that's why it's the very first thing they do. This tradition, of opening government in a prayer is has been protected in various cases, Supreme Court cases over the years where it's been challenged. Mm. Um, uh, you know, the prayer happens at the beginning of city council meetings, happens at the beginning of local legislative, every, nearly, I think nearly every state legislature opens with some kind of prayer. Um, so it's a very widespread practice that has been has been challenged. Uh, that's gone up to the Supreme Court, and in a couple cases, it's been protected. So it very much is ingrained in the tradition of the legislative branch. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And when did when did Jews get in the game? So Jews got in the game. Um, the first guest chaplain uh, in Congress was in the 1850s. Uh, Jews got in the game uh, uh, in the 1860s. Um, the very first rabbi who prayed in Congress um, was, uh, his name is Rabbi Morris Raphael. Morris Raphael was a congregation of B'nai Jeshurun in New York City. Uh, that's, where my, uh, that's where I interned during rabbinical school. Oh, no kidding. Okay. Well, then you have a direct link to the uh, the, the history of uh, rabbis in Congress. He was the first one. And actually, B'nai Jeshurun has had, I don't have a number in my head, but a, a number of rabbis since the first one have been from there, uh, from that congregation. Uh, he was the first in 1860. James Buchanan was president, uh, so predates even Abraham Lincoln. And when, when um, the contemporary accounts, like in the New York Times and, and other newspapers, of the shock of a rabbi showing up in Congress and praying, they use almost comical language of here's somebody in costume and wearing his canonicals, they, they called it. Mm -hmm. And you could just imagine what it was like uh, to be in, you know, to be uh, looking like a Jew, like a rabbi uh, in the 1860s. And you know, members of Congress were whispering to each other saying, what's going on here? 
one, one footnote to the history of this rabbi, Rabbi Morris Raphael, born in Sweden, uh, moved to America. Uh, he was pro-slavery. Uh, he actually was, even though he was a Northern rabbi, he was on the side of the South, the Confederacy in the Civil War. It's a whole interesting history behind this Rabbi Morris Raphael. But he was the first. Um, and was the first of, now there have been over 430 rabbis who have prayed in Congress uh, and there have been about 640 total rabbi prayers in Congress. The difference in numbers is because about 100 of the rabbis have prayed multiple times, uh, two or more times. Uh, there have been rabbi, a, a rabbi has done it more than one time. So over 400 rabbis have prayed over 600 times since 1860, leading up to, to this year. And does a rabbi get invited by the primary chaplain or does he or she just walk in there and say, I'm praying today? <laughs> That's a great question. Uh, no, so the uh, the invitation comes from um, typically more times than none. It comes from the local congressman or the local senator will be the one who sponsors a rabbi from his or her community. Um, so when it's, it's when it's the time for Rabbi Tobias Moss to come and give the prayer opening Congress, typically it would be your local congressman or woman. Uh, doing the invite, not always, um, two exceptions. Uh, sometimes there have been members um, of Congress from a different state, uh, different community who are just close or friends mm -hmm. with the rabbi and they've done the inviting or on several occasions uh, in what is called, a, it's gonna be a confusing term, a pro forma session of, of the house, meaning when the house is just in for a couple minutes just to maintain its legislative duties, then there are also rabbis who are invited by the chaplain's office uh, to do that. Typically, that rabbi is from the Washington, D.C. area just for proximity because there's, it's not a really a, a true legislative session. Mm -hmm. But for the most part, it is a member of Congress who is doing the inviting, um, uh, both in the House and in the Senate. Okay, and, and the main chaplains are appointed by the how does, how, what's the process around the main chaplains or what, what's the proper title? Sure, the five proper titles chaplain, uh, chaplain of the House and chaplain of the Senate. They are both uh, elected by the House itself. So, and actually in January, when the new Congress is elected, they will also, believe it or not, have uh, uh, elections for the new chaplain. Um, they can be fired, um, the chaplains, typically they're not, but it's, uh, you know, this is part of the administrative staff of the House, just looking at the House, of the, of the House Representatives. You have the chaplain, again, the incumbent right now, his name is Father Conroy, a uh, really interesting fellow, um, he's a Catholic, and um, he has his own staff. Uh, he's paid by the taxpayers, has his own staff uh, to help him out to assist. The chaplain of the House and the chaplain of the Senate, their duties aren't only to pray, to open each session in prayer, they also minister to members of Congress. Uh, they have private meetings uh, during particularly difficult times. Uh, a member will come to their, the House or Senate chaplain. Uh, they've conducted weddings. Um, they, they do other events where they uh, represent, they appear at other uh, official events uh, that involve the House outside of the chamber and, and offer prayers. Mm -hmm. So there, there's a lot of different, different um, activities that they do different ministering that these chaplains get involved in. Great. And there's not yet been a Jewish chaplain of the House or chaplain of the Senate as a full-time 
There has not been a Jewish chaplain full time. I know we have Navy admirals and other uh, <laughs> higher ups, but yeah, no, it's actually part of the um, uh, part of the um, my work on this project. I've been I've been in touch with a lot of rabbis who have given prayers, and I may or may not surprise you that there is some jockeying that there are rabbis who fancy themselves worthy of the position of chaplain of Congress. And, mm. you know, I know firsthand of a couple of rabbis who would love to have that job. Um, it doesn't come off open that often. Uh, but uh, like any other thing in Washington, there's small, uh, you know, there's politics uh, behind some of these choices. So there are rabbis who would like to have, to have that position. Um, but no, there hasn't been, your mention of military uh, chaplains actually is kind of interesting. Um, there have been about 55 military chaplains, uh, Jewish military chaplains who have prayed in the House and in the Senate. Um, and a number of them have actually worn their military uniforms So mm-hmm. um, when they've prayed. So there's some crossover. There's crossover military chaplains have prayed in, uh, you know, Congress, uh, rabbi military chaplains have prayed in Congress as well. Mm-hmm. And have there been Jewish lay, lay people that have done a, the same or um, cantors? Yeah, uh, cantors, no. Uh, cantors. Is the prayer ever sung generally? Well, you're, these are really good questions. Um, the, uh, the, there have been rabbis who are, have also been cantors, but standalone cantors, um, no. Um, uh, in fact, I, I, if I get my history right, um, and I've written down here um, uh, from Temple Israel, the um, uh, Rabbi Albert Minda, uh, historically part of Temple. I believe he was also in our, a cantor as well as being a rabbi. Um, he has given the prayer. He gave the prayer in Congress uh, in 1964. Uh, I'm uh, going way back. So there have been crossover, no standalone um, cantors. The I, I, I don't want to say outright the prayers had never been sung because what I'm, I, I know of the prayers that exist on video uh, and the video going back to the creation of C-SPAN back in 1979, prayers that were given before that I can see in the congressional record, uh, but I can't see necessarily, there's no video or audio recording of them. So I, I, I don't think so, but I don't want to say outright. Now, one interesting aspect of this are prayers that have been given in Hebrew. And for that, there is video, and I do have video of prayers uh, that have that um, uh, um, prayers uh, have been blessed. There have been rabbis who have blessed Congress, and I believe the Shekhinah, the the original, uh, going back to the uh, um, giving countenance um, upon the legislators, the oldest aura, has been given in Hebrew. there are, this is going to get into the weeds, but there are rules now. The House chaplain has rules. You can't give prayers in foreign languages anymore. So there are, are no longer prayers in Hebrew, but there were at a time. And in fact, uh, one of the joys of doing this research have been find, has been finding Hebrew in the congressional record. So if you go back, they printed Hebrew in the congressional record from rabbis who gave prayers. So uh, I don't so want to say I'm singing, but, uh, but they have been in Hebrew. So since you mentioned the congressional record, and that you've seen a lot of this on video. Have those been your two main sources of, of digging through of digging these up? Exactly right. So I've been working on this project for about six years. Um, um, the two big buckets is video, one bucket video and audio. All C-SPAN? All C-SPAN, that's right. And the C-SPAN began broadcasting in 1979. So prayers that have happened since then, many of them appear on video, 
through a quirk. Not all of them do because we didn't start archiving them until 1985. So this kind of gets you know in the weeds here. But uh, for every prayer since 1985, I typically have. For those in this 1979 to 1985 world, I don't have because the video doesn't exist. Pre now, so that's been the big bucket, number one, the archive, the video archives. Before the existence of television broadcast of Congress, uh, and that again, the House 79, the Senate began in 1986, TV broadcast. Mm -hmm. Before that, uh, it's only the congressional record. So it involved a lot of digging through the congressional record, basically looking through every prayer uh, ever uttered and by anybody uh, going back to 1860 and, and trying to figure out who was a rabbi, who wasn't a rabbi. And you can't, um, uh, you can't really search the congressional record for the word rabbi, it doesn't. It doesn't work like that. You have to basically have to go through every prayer, for a couple of reasons. One of which we don't Jews don't make it easier ourselves. We used to call ourselves uh, the rabbi, reverend, minister. Exactly right. Exactly. Which, for whatever reason, they called themselves reverend and minister. In the early days of the congressional record, it became minister this, minister that, even if the person was a rabbi. So, you, so the rabbis don't exist as rabbis till like the 1930s or 1940s making it difficult on amateur sleuths like myself to figure out who was a rabbi and who wasn't. So it just yeah. involves searching. In the Union Prayer Book, the turn of the century uh, prayer book of the Reform Movement, it says, you know, congregation, congregation responds, but then it says minister leads or reverend leads. Um, so I've seen that around. Yeah, it is. It's, I tell you, it really still is odd to see that. I mean, it's not a modern sensibility to call rabbis ministers. And I do, you know, I've seen those in the prayer books and it just becomes even weirder when you see in the congressional record, when it's like minister Rabinowitz, you know, for an example, you know, it just, it's, it's just not juxtaposition of seeing minister in a, mm -hmm. in a clearly Jewish person giving the prayer. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. And um, so, so for those who are listening, uh, this is actually my first conversation with Howard because Howard is also uh, posting daily on social media of on this date in whatever year there was a this this prayer was given in congress by a rabbi and so you put up um a prayer from from temple israel and so i i reposted that and then uh, this is how we connected and also um you mentioned or i mentioned that um my my foremost connection to an american jewish historian is gary zola rabbi gary zola in cincinnati who runs the american jewish archives um, and as a, a mentor, uh, what was your connection with the archives or with R Rabbi Zola himself? So great. So, and first of all, let me just say that uh, thanks to you being a social media uh, expert and a guru uh, to spot that you were, you're the first one I've been posting these on these dates. Like basically I want to throw, I want to add all sure. my research done to the public. Like it doesn't do any good sitting in a Google Excel sheet, you know, on my computer. So that's what my way of contributing is just put this um, on social media. Rabbi Moss, you're the first one to actually spot that and say, hey, let's talk more about this. So thank you for, uh, for your sleuthing, your online sleuthing for that. Um, Rabbi Zola, Gary Zola of the Hebrew Union College, as you mentioned, uh, runs the American Jewish Archives based in Cincinnati. My connection to him, well, it's actually, I, I, it goes back <laughs> really deep. Um, Pre-C-SPAN for me, uh, as a Jewish guy growing up, I attended um, a summer camp in Wisconsin, uh, Olin Seng Ruby in Oconomowoc, Wisconsin, and he was the rabbi there, and I was there back in the 1970s. Um, mm. 
uh, every summer my parents would ship me up there. And I, in the back of my head, I kind of have a vague memory of Rabbi Zola being the rabbi there. His red hair sticks out. It, you know what? It just sticks out in, you know, in my cerebral as well as, in, you know, in the pictures from those eras. You're totally right. Uh, the red hair sticks out. And I just always remember the name. Um, I also went to uh, uh, Camp Harlem, which was a uh, Jewish camp in, uh, oh, gosh. Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania, that's right. So and I can't remember if he was part of that, but I know he's part of Owen Sang Ruby in Oconomowoc, Wisconsin. So, you know, it was like one of these names, memories that just stuck in the back of my head. As I began doing this research, I came across his name again, uh, and I said, boy, that's totally familiar, that name. I came across him, Rabbi Zola, because he himself has given the prayer twice uh, in Congress, once in the House and once in the Senate. And I believe it was like the early 2000s, he was there uh, in the Senate, sponsored by, Rabbi, uh, by um, uh, uh, I'm sorry, in the House, sponsored by then Congressman Rob Portman from Ohio, who's now a senator. And um, was there to mark the 350th anniversary of the Jewish community in, in America. Um, so I, I, I saw this prayer, part of my archiving of these prayers, and I just sent him a letter and outreach uh, to say hello. I actually then, just by befriending him, re-befriending him over email, uh, I flew up to Cincinnati to visit the archives. I've, I used their online version of the archives extensively to mm -hmm. the research this and Gary Zola is now actually one of the um, uh, one of the 16 rabbis who is on the cover um, of the book uh, given uh, the, the, the prayer um, so no he's, he's absolutely been a great great help in the production of this uh, of this book I said I took a uh, an intensive 10-day course with him on uh, the American Jewish early American Jewish experience and we were in Cincinnati and then in Charleston we had to write a paper on whatever interested us to you, but making use of the archive. So I did a paper on the blue laws on the uh, Sunday prohibitions on, uh, or the prohibitions on working on Sundays and how that affected the Jewish community. And since I grew up in Bergen County, New Jersey, which is one of the last remaining counties to have uh, no retail on Sunday, that was of interest to me. Um, and what was fascinating in that exploration was certain, you know, certain Jews, um, certain Jewish leaders being pro pro these prohibitions as long as there was Jewish exceptions to it, like Jews could work on Sunday because we're taking off Saturday, uh, but they liked the principle of of the government stepping in to prevent too much work on the Sabbath, and then other Jews who said this is you know violating church and state um, rules. So I'm sure even with this, like you were mentioning at the outset that there's probably uh, some opposition to this overall practice of prayer um, in our state bodies, but but also since given that there is, it's good that Jews are getting represented um, as such. Yeah, you know what, th th thank you for bringing that up. The church state part of this is, it looms over this whole practice. I mean, it's, it's, it's you know, it's just, you can't really talk about this topic without the inevitable church state conversation. What I will say about what I did, my, my work, my book, my research doesn't get into that that debate uh, at all for this reason. That, that's a debate that people have, church versus state, ad infinitum. We, you know, it's a battle that continues to go on. What I, my perspective is, sure, that's a legitimate debate and it's, you know, it's a fascinating debate. But the fact is there have been over 400 rabbis who have prayed in Congress 
for 160 years, it's worthy of study. It's worthy of knowing who they is by the history itself. Uh, mm-hmm. Even if you don't, if you disagree with the practice, and you're like everything else in America, you're welcome to disagree. Say the government shouldn't be doing this. The government should be paying for a chaplain. The government should be having prayer. You know, you can make all those arguments that are legitimate, sound arguments. For me, sure, but I still am interested in in, in the history and in some of the amazing stories uh, that come out of this. Um, uh, you know, we've established earlier in the conversation, this has been protected by the Supreme Court. So it, it's part of the tradition and it will remain part of the tradition. So I, my attitude is you can have the argument um, that this book is not an argument about that. This book is a look at the history mm-hmm. of, of these hundreds of Jews, of rabbis who have prayed. One thing I will say is I, I don't know of any rabbi who would turn down the opportunity to be invited uh, to give a prayer in Congress. I mean, it, it Clearly, it's an honor. Um, I, I, one of my, it's a, in the, within the context of church state. I remember uh, Rabbi um, Frank Lautenberg, a famous Jewish senator from New Jersey, sponsored a rabbi from um, from New Jersey uh, who gave the prayer in the U.S. Senate. Oh gosh, this was back in the early two thousands, I believe. Um, and among, when after a rabbi gives a prayer then the sponsoring member of Congress, Senator or Congressman gets up and makes remarks about the rabbi. Senator Lautenberg sponsored this rabbi and among the great attributes uh, that Lautenberg said about this rabbi was his great work uh, and church state issues uh, and, and keeping church state separate, which is, you know, <laughs> sure, but the, you know, the rabbi just gave a prayer in Congress. So, you know, it's just, uh, it, it, I don't, you know, that's why I, I, you know, the, the rabbi who would say no, I won't give a prayer in Congress. When that happens, I'll be, I'll be shot, surprised and shocked. It happens. That's funny. So yeah, so let's dive into some of the some of the stories and phenomena you've you've discovered within uh, the research. Um, you want to tell us what the what the first female um, leader of a prayer in Congress was, or the first rabbinic leader? Sure. And actually, I love this story. Um, her name, um, Rabbi Sally Prezand, and mm-hmm, Sally. Mm-hmm. Prezand is known uh, historically as the first uh, ordained rabbi in America. Uh, ordained, I believe, in 1972, and she gave the prayer uh, a year later. Uh, and I think she was in her late 20s when she gave the prayer uh, in 1973, in October 1973. A couple of things that are remarkable about her prayer, the first Jewish rabbi, um, sponsored by uh, Congresswoman Bella Abzug, uh, who is uh, known for being a uh, uh, famous Jewish, since dead, but a famous Jewish uh, uh, congresswoman from New York. Um, in Sally Prezan's prayer, she didn't make any mention of the history of her being there, the first Jewish uh, rabbi, uh, the fir- I'm sorry, the first uh, woman rabbi, but mm-hmm. Bella Abzug in her remarks, Bella Abzug mentioned um, her prayer being the first by, by a woman. Um, one really interesting coda to this, it's tough to find Sally Prezan's prayer in the congressional record because they misspelled her name. Um, her name is spelled P-R-I-E-S-A-N-D. The congressional record uh, got the, transposed the E and the I, P-R-E-I-S-A-N-D. Mm-hmm. So it, it, the uh, the first woman rabbi, tough to find her because they got the name wrong. So, And, and was she the first female clergy or had there been other... No, it's not the first female clergy, but the first female clergy was not short, was not too long before uh, Rabbi Prezand. I forget her name, uh, but uh, it was in the era of the 1970s when there were a lot of firsts. The mm-hmm. first Native American uh, um, clergy person, 
for, I believe from South Dakota, uh, was also in the 1970s. Uh, the first African-American guest chaplain was probably about five, 10 years before that. So this is very much an error. For, uh, there have been um, uh, 14 rabbis, including Sally Prezan, women rabbis, who have given the prayer in the year since. <laughs> the period of time between Rabbi Prezan's prayer and the next one was um, um, uh, 12 years, separating uh, the two of them, 1973 to 1985. Uh, one, only one rabbi, woman rabbi, has given the prayer more than one time, uh, Rabbi Hannah Spiro, of a reconstructionist rabbi from uh, Hill Havra. Um, yeah, we, we, we interacted in our rabbinic journey uh, a bit um, in some interdenominational workshops and what the, not. Yeah, so right, okay, great. She's young, um, uh, is a rabbi for many uh, Capitol Hill folks uh, being in DC and she's mm-hmm. twice. Um, so she's the first one to pray, the first female rabbi to pray twice. Gotcha. And uh, what, what nuggets do you have from the Minnesota uh, Jewish experience? And um, many of our members grew up at other synagogues in Minnesota or in Hibbing or in Duluth. So, so we're uh, interested in all of it. Yeah, I, I actually love the Minnesota part. Believe it or not, Minnesota looms large in the story. Um, and I have a couple of facts to share with everybody. Um, first of all, the, 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 rab, the rabbi who has spoke, who has given the prayer most in Congress, not, not a Minnesota rabbi, um, he has prayed 17 times. His name is Rabbi Arnold Reznikov. Um, and he is, Arnold Reznikov is, um, just gave a prayer a couple of weeks ago um, and a retired Navy chaplain, 17 prayers. But the number two rabbi, believe it or not, is a Minnesota rabbi. Um, and the rabbi is Rabbi Moshe Feller, uh, who's a Lubavitcher rabbi uh, from Minnesota and has given the prayer um, uh, nine times. Uh, so he's uh, second most uh, of, of any of the rabbis. So Minnesota is well represented at the top. Um, uh, um, um, temple Israel itself in, um, in uh, uh, your temple has given the prayer, and this actually is interesting, uh, four times uh, been represented, uh, represented in, um, in Congress. Um, and do, I you just, have, do you have there which, which, which rabbis? I do. Uh, Rabbi uh, Albert Minda, 1964. Uh, Rabbi Stephen Pinsky, 1989. Uh, and two from Rabbi Max Shapiro, 1979 and 1985. Um, now, the, the three most recent, uh, Pinsky and the two Shapiros, sponsored by a member, I don't know if he's still a member, but member of uh, Temple Israel, uh, Rudy Boschwitz, um, a senator uh, from Minnesota, uh, who was defeated in 1990 uh, by Paul Wellstone. Okay. Uh, Boschwitz sponsored three rabbis from Temple Israel. So anyway, so uh, nice. was well represented in the history of, uh, of prayers in Congress. Very nice, yeah. Um, and um, has the Jewish preponderance uh, gone up over time? Have we had a heyday where we were more frequent? Um, after that 1860 first one, was it a long time until we got back? I, that's a great question. No one's asking that because the, um, the on average, um, uh, if you look at just the, the raw numbers, rabbis give prayers in Congress um, about seven times a year. Uh, since World War II. Now, I will throw in immediately, this year is different, um, obviously, because of um, 
the virus. Um, there haven't been many guest chaplains at all uh, this year. Um, there have been four rabbis who have given prayers this year. So this is kind of, if you look at the curve, this is a, this is definitely an outlier. Uh, but if you if you take, if you take away this, uh, if you're into metrics, if you throw away uh, this year, average is about seven rabbis a year. The heyday, uh, uh, believe it or not, was during the Vietnam War, uh, when it was just a real surge of, of rabbis giving prayers for whatever reason. And the message of Vietnam was part of. Uh, you can see it in the in the prayer itself, in the content, in the in the mm-hmm. language that they used, and you can almost see the swing of embracing the Vietnam War as America embraced the Vietnam War, and then as America turned against the war, the language and the rabbis' prayers turned against the Vietnam War. Uh, 1967, in particular, probably the bloodiest year of America's involvement. Uh, you see a lot of rabbis gave prayers that year and started to, even, even though you're really not supposed to talk about current events like this, mm-hmm. it was impossible to, to do a prayer at that time for anybody without mentioning our troops overseas, you know, citing um, uh, Isaiah, uh, as Isaiah 2-4, turn your pl- uh, plowshares into mm-hmm. proofs, citing that, more of that citation. And in fact, um, th- I think it was three, two or three rabbis um, gave prayers during June 67, which historically is the Six Day War in Israel, and didn't mention the Six Day War at all in their prayers, but did mention Vietnam uh, mm. or gave a kind of a, uh, a um, kind of a broad a reference. Reference, yeah, yeah, an explicit, re- an implicit reference to Vietnam during their prayers. So that's kind of, to use your word, I love the word heyday. That's kind of the golden age of uh, rabbinical prayers in Congress during Vietnam. Did you have a, I don't know if you have favorites, but do you have a most eloquent rabbi you found? Um, is it, does it get redundant to read so many of these prayers or is, are, are there really unique takes? It's a great question. And I will tell you, having seen and read through 634 prayers, um, there are a couple of duds. <laughs> there, are, there are a couple that do nothing for me, um, uh, uh, meaning that their language is not particularly inspiring or, you know, it's repetitive. That said, there are a couple of them that really spoke to me or taught me or allowed me to see even Judaism in it or instructed me or mentioning prophets or Pirkei Avod or just like different Jewish tradition. The one prayer that really struck out as me, this happened only recently, and it's kind of a personal story. Part of what I've been doing in my research is for when there is video of a prayer, I've been putting them on YouTube. Um, so you can see Minnesota, you can see um, uh, um, Rabbi Pinsky. Rabbi Pinsky exists on YouTube exactly from 1989, as well as Senator Boschwitz's prayer, uh, remarks sponsoring him. So I've been mechanically putting uh, uh, all these prayers on YouTube and creating playlists for both rabbis and uh, their sponsors. One of the rabbis I put on YouTube uh, was a rabbi, Maurice Lyons, uh, from St. Louis. And Maurice Lyons gave the prayer in 1994 in the Senate, and uh, he has since uh, died. Um, so he's just one of the rabbis I put on YouTube, and I move on to the next rabbi. About a month ago, I got an e- I got a, uh, an email or a Facebook note, an email out of no out of out of the blue from the family of Rabbi Maurice Lyons from one of his grandkids, who had stumbled over this YouTube 
just Googling uh, um, Rabbi Lyons, uh, they were marking his yurt site, the anniversary of his death. And they had never seen, not only had they never seen this prayer, they didn't know that he had done a prayer in Congress and had actually never even heard his voice um, for their wow. kids. And they, they, they sent me a note saying how great it was a service to them to see his prayer and the Senate. And I wrote back, that's really nice, but what even greater service to be able to hear your reaction uh, to seeing this and just to be part of the yard side of the prayer. And it turned out, it's really interesting because he, I mentioned uh, rabbis who have prayed in, in Hebrew. Mm-hmm. He, uh, this Rabbi Lyons gave a big prayer at the end. He, uh, he gave countenance uh, and blessed and raised his hand very dramatically and spoke in Hebrew over the Senate. And it actually, it had always struck me just going through all the prayers. That was so interesting how we just, as a rabbi does over, over a congregation, over a synagogue. The priestly blessing? Blessedly, the priestly blessing. Mm-hmm. I believe is in numbers, if I don't, if mm-hmm. I, right? Um, and gave the priestly blessing over the Senate. Amazing moment. But that was his. And so it kind of came, both thing kind of came full circle. So it was a very humanizing moment for me to be able to connect with a family like that. That's great. Yeah, I think... Um, I don't know if anyone in uh, Temple Israel's congregation or those who are listening um, have their own, you know, pet projects they've considered pursuing within the Jewish world. But it sounds like, you know, lots of connections can be sparked um, by pursuing a project like this. And it sounds like rabbis made themselves available to you as you as you did your research in the archive. Also, um, did you hit any any roadblocks um, along the way to putting this together? Well, no, no roadblocks from my own research. The biggest roadblock, and this will not come as a shock, there's not much of a market in the literary, in the publishing world for a book about rabbis who pray in Congress. So, so the biggest roadblock came after I, I, I did everything wrong. Uh, I wrote it before I had anybody interested in, in, in publishing it. And mm-hmm. you're not supposed to do that. You're supposed to pitch the concept and then find somebody. I just found that I couldn't pitch this. It was really tough to explain without formulating the entire book first. So I so I, I did it wrong. So I wrote the book first and then I pitched. A hundred pitches later, I came across uh, uh, a, a publishing house that said, we love this. And I said, my goodness, are you guys crazy? Why do you love this book? And uh, I was so fortunate. Um, the publisher, Academic Studies Press, is mm-hmm. the name of the publisher based in Boston. They, they specialize in two types of books, Jewish books and Slavic books. Uh, so I didn't write a Slavic book, but I wrote very much wrote a Jewish book and they, they gave me a chance on this part of this. I, I went into partnership, um, with, and I have to give a plug to Washington Hebrew congregation, mm-hmm. uh, which is a reformed congregation based here in DC. They had, a, they, uh, in order to make this somewhat marketable, I had to put some skin in the, in the game, uh, uh, some money. Uh, so a partnership with Washington Hebrew congregation, they, they sponsor, they basically, they, it, there's a publishing term called a subvention where you guarantee a certain number of sales. Um, so Washington Hebrew Congregation guaranteed a certain number of sales. As a result, they, they, the book, it basically, it says it's in partnership with them. So without their involvement, the book probably would have happened. And without uh, my mm-hmm. publisher saying, we'll take a risk on this. So, you know, in the end, I'm th- I couldn't be, I'm thrilled and grateful to both Washington Hebrew Congregation to my publisher for supporting this. Um, I will say it's very important for me just to say that this is not solely a Jewish book. Um, this is a book for lovers of Congress history, for lover, for junkies or American history. 
Um, th this is a book for people who are just interested in the overall tradition of prayer in Congress. For me being Jewish, it's the entrance uh, for that, that topic, that discussion. It's the gateway to talking about it. But it would be wrong to say that the Jewish participation in this tradition uh, is dominating. It's not. It's a very small sliver of the overall practice. So this really, I hope, appeals to people who aren't Jewish who just want to be exposed to a, a big tradition of Congress they may not be aware of. And that's opening uh, each session of prayer. Mm -hmm. um, where can people find this book? So through going through my publisher's site, uh, the Academic Studies Press, I have to mention them because we support independent books, uh, independent bookstores. And so you can find it on my website. The website is When Rabbis Bless Congress. Um, uh, and you can just Google that, WhenRabbisBlessCongress.com. You'll come up with this and it'll send you right to purchase pages. Of course, you can buy it on Amazon. Uh, just Googling my name, Howard Mortman. Um, being a support of independent bookstores, we almost prefer people support your local businessmen, uh, mm -hmm. independent. But but how? But basically, you can either you can even buy it by going to the websites of Target uh, and Walmart uh, sells. <laughs> believe it or not, sells a book. Oh, yeah, if you don't like the book you, and you get it from Walmart, you can just return it and get a bunch of toilet paper instead. So, you know, so feel free. If there's, a, if there's any left on the shelves in Minnesota, exactly right. And actually, since between which since Target's a Minnesota based. Exactly. This is your fine, your kosher. Um, let's do it. Do talk. That's local business for us. Right. Got to think of it. Yeah. Yeah. So since this is, uh, you're going to put this on in January, uh, that's when the new Congress begins. Um, so, you know, just be interested to see um, who the next rabbi will be praising Congress. Mm -hmm. And this podcast comes on after the Hanukkah gift giving season. Uh, there's, don't forget about Purim gifts and Passover gifts. Uh, so this will make the perfect uh, gifts for those holidays as well. Perfect. So thank you so much for uh, joining us for Temple Talks. That's great getting to know you and, and the project. Thank you, Rabbi, so much. Wonderful to be part of this. Thank you. Hello, listener. We'd love to hear from you what you thought about this week's episode, any comments or questions. So those can be directed to tmoss at templeisrael.com. As well, we would love for you to subscribe to the podcast so that it can find you easily each time that it comes out. Go to templetalks.org and hit the button subscribe. Thanks again for listening.